Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of James as we come to the end of our our series through the book of James, James chapter 5. We'll read the last two verses of James' epistle. That's found on page 1,292 in your pew Bibles. And if you can put a marker there and turn as well to Luke chapter 15... We'll read the first seven verses of Luke chapter 15. That's found on page 1,112. Before we read and before I pray, I want us to remember something about worship itself and these texts that we will read. And what I want to point out is the compassion and mercy of God in these texts. These texts that reveal his great love even to a wanderer and to those who are to pursue someone wandering, a brother or sister wandering from the faith. And we see the compassion and mercy of God. Here our God is one of great mercy and compassion. And in a worship service, we desire to keep the reverence and awe of God intact. We desire to approach Him and to have properly prepared our hearts to understand what we're doing in approaching such a sovereign Lord who is so holy and worthy. And we keep that intact in our worship, but we also understand that the the very approach to such a God who's made that possible conveys His compassion and His love and His mercy. Let us then see in these texts that we read from James and from Luke the love of our Savior, the love of God himself, even to those who wander from his ways. Let's ask for God's blessing before we read. Father in heaven, we pray that the richness of your word would come out to us in the reading and the preaching of your word. This is a word that was meant to be spoken and for your people to hear. And in the act of hearing, this is not a mental exercise simply to learn or know. Hearing is obedience. Hearing is knowing and securing it in our hearts. It's to change our lives. Every time we open your word, we open what is the very power to change life as the Holy Spirit works through it, changing our hearts. And may we see here not only a desire to pursue the lost, to pursue the wanderer, but as well to see your attributes of love towards your people and the mercy and compassion you show. We ask this in the very incarnation of your mercy and love. In Christ's name, amen. We'll first read from James 5, the two verses, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now if you would turn and again keep keep a a mark there, because we'll be going back to James 5, but to read from Luke 15, the first seven verses, the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near near to hear him, that is Christ. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, 
For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Thus far our reading in God's holy word as we can we confess and think through and meditate on this great truth of pursuing a wanderer. Pursuing a wanderer. We see that clearly in James chapter 5. We see Jesus' example of that in Luke chapter 15. The lost sheep, or as James puts it, one of yourselves, one of the brothers, one of us, who wanders away. And the blessing that it is to pursue such a wanderer. See, the intent that James has in this text is to show that living for Jesus involves pursuing wandering brothers. That's what we are to do in living for Jesus. We pursue those who wander. We pursue those who are stepping away from the truth, who are going to be in the category of the lost as they they wander from the gospel, as they wander from the Bible. We pursue them. And we see from James' verses that this allows us to share in a labor far beyond our pay grade. To share in a labor far beyond our pay grade. Pursuing a wanderer, and what James says, puts us in a position of doing something that seems so out of, out of reach for us that we couldn't possibly do this. We couldn't possibly be engaged in this. And what James says that we're actually doing, we think that can't be true of us. And yet it is. To pursue a wanderer saves his soul, covers a multitude of sins, and this is what we can be engaged in, things that that we shouldn't be able to touch and handle, but that happens so often in God's Word. So often in the Gospel, we're, we're given a position and a standing that we just don't deserve and think is so far beyond us. In fact, I think so much of our inactivity, so much of our struggling is failing to realize just how exalted we are in Christ. Just, just the position that we have in Him. And we can't even think that far. We can't even think, how could, how could we be there? We're down here. And that's true, it's not because of our righteousness, but it's because of the great compassion and mercy of God that He puts us as, and I'm going to say this and say this carefully, as vehicles of atonement. What I don't mean to say by vehicles of atonement is that we ourselves have achieved it, that we have brought atonement or unity to God, that we have brought us back together, have reconciled it. We haven't done that, Christ has. That's not what we mean. But as vehicles of atonement, as those who, as James says, save souls cover multitude of sin. That's, that's atonement language, and we are vehicles of that insofar as we pursue with the gospel, with the word of Christ, as we spread what is needed in Christ himself, then we are vehicles of atonement. This is to touch things so far beyond us. This is to handle the, the royal jewels that we shouldn't be able to as peasants, and yet we are being able to be engaged in this work. And we need to know that, because this is a hard work. This is not easy. And so James expresses, yes, the call of what his people, what the congregation are to do, what the brothers are to do for love of their fellow wandering brother or sister. And yet he seeks to encourage them with what they're actually doing, what they're engaged in, and what would be accomplished even through their meager efforts of pursuit. That's what we see here 
in James, and we'll see that in two points. First, wandering brothers, and then our second point, bringing them back. First, wandering brothers. Wandering or backsliding is a process which with we're all acquainted. We see it happen. We see it happen in church discipline. We know of family members and friends in our own situations, our own extended family, our own immediate families. We know that. They, there are those who wander and walk away. And yet we know it most clearly in ourselves. We all wander to a degree. Now that is not what James is referring to. He is referring in that fullest extent of that wandering to one in grave danger of apostatizing, of turning away from the gospel and rejecting the faith. This is his primary intent, and yet we, we can relate to it. For we ourselves backslide, we ourselves wander so frequently, and we see our own weakness and the, the propensity we have to be led that way. And so we can see how wandering happens. We know who the wanderers are because we look in our own hearts and we see it in our own families. This is dear, this is close, I should say. It hits close to home for us all who experience that in our families. Those who we love so much. Yet they're, they're wandering or they're, they've been given the promises of God in a baptism that they seem to not live in, not seem to produce this fruit. And what we should see here as those in pain is that hope is not lost. That there is a blessing to pursue and that God's own intent is to have his people thus pursue the wandering brothers and call them to, repent, to repentance. You see, it's all, or can be, all very sterile to us. A sterile environment is one very clean. It's, it's been wiped away from impurities and from bacteria and from taint. And so often our lives are very sterile. We don't come into contact much with what is difficult and hard. And that's, that's our own def default, is just to keep it that way. We don't want to go through the pain. We don't want to go into situations that are very difficult and that bring hardships and pain and, and confrontation with sin that's very difficult for us. And so James calls his brothers to pursue. And who is exactly those who are called to do this? Who should pursue and address the wanderers among us? James says, my brothers, so he's addressing the church, the, whole, the entirety of the church. My brothers, if anyone among you, so that's those who are leaving the church, wanders from the truth. And someone brings him back. Someone, that's very general. He's addressing the entirety of the church from those who might leave their midst. And if someone brings them back, why do I point that out? Well, because this is not just the work of one classification of people. This is not just the elders' responsibility. It's not just to ship it off to their problem. James could very easily have said that. In fact, in the, in the, right before this text, as we looked at last time, he had called the elders specifically to do something. And we might think James has this backwards. He's got these two situations reversed. Remember, he had said, if anyone is sick, he should what? And you would think, well, if anyone is sick, he should pray. But that's not what James says. James says, if anyone is sick, he should call the elders, that they should minister to him. And here you might think it should be, if anyone is wandering, call the elders. That's not what James says. Pursue them, he says. That isn't to say the elders are not closely connected to this work. They certainly are. But this is first a work of the people for their brothers. This is a personal work. 
on behalf of your own selves, showing your love to them. It isn't just on them, it's, it's what we're called to do. It's very similar to what Jesus had said in Matthew 18 in giving the process for, for church discipline itself. It's when you see someone sinning, go to them personally, go by yourself, talk to them, minister to them. There are multiple steps. There's to bring another person, another brother in with you to confront if they don't listen to your exhortation. And there's these steps that take place before the elders are involved. The work of restoring a wanderer, the work of pursuing a lost sheep, which is the work of Christ, is the work of all of us. All members, we don't in this way, and this is what I mean by that, we don't keep our hands sterile and clean. We get them dirty. We dip into what is very hard and painful because why? Well, we love them. We're obeying Christ's own example. We're obeying his law to show love to our brothers, to our neighbor, to those who are very, very, making very poor decisions. A dangerous situation, wandering from what is life itself. You know, we might think, well, this isn't our role. I'm not the best suited for it. I'm not the, the best one. I don't have the greatest relationship with them. Now, some, all of those need to be taken into account. And yet, we have to be honest with ourselves more often than not, there are excuses to keep us from engaging in this difficult work. We will be very quick to talk about wanderers behind their backs, we're very quick to offer our expert advice. You know what needs to be done. You know what the problem is. You know what, what, what happened years ago and went off the rails was X, Y, Z. We're experts in, in assessing a problem. We think we know so much, and yet we are novices in picking up the phone, in lifting a door handle and going to have coffee with such an individual, for, for praying for them. We're coming alongside of them. That's where we are so often those who, who don't display love. That's why James' call here is one that is helpful. It's one that reminds us, no, if anyone does this, if someone so pursues this wanderer and brings them back, what this one has done is saved his soul and covered a multitude of sins. You see what he's saying as well. The, the trials are, have, have no, nothing. They're, they're not even significant when you compare it to the payoff. What can be gained is so much greater than the hardships that it takes to pursue gain. Now we have to be careful of curse. Of course, this is a word of warning. We have to make sure we are wise in determining who are the wanderers, who are those who need this. Sometimes we can be very callous. Sometimes we operate according to our own set of laws and our own standard, and we think there are those who are wandering who perhaps may not be. We have to be careful. We have to make sure we're operating according to Scripture. Some of us will hold to certain standards, certain conscientious objections to things, and think something is, is wrong to do, and yet when we see others do it, we think, oh, they're wandering, we think they're sinning, and perhaps not. Paul is very, very clear about this in the, the confrontation in Corinth between meat offered to idols and other situations where there is a, an understanding of what you might hold to does not mean others are, are have to be held to that account. What the standard is is God's law. But see, we can go further than God's law and not even in wrong ways. 
I'll use an example. I, I may have used this before. It's, it's a rather simple example. But I remember in our family growing up, on Sunday, we weren't allowed to ride bikes. As a young child, I did not fully understand what my parents' intention was with that. See, their intention was not that it is sinful to mount a bike on the Sabbath. It was rather to say that this is a special day. This is a day set apart. And so it was something in our household rules and government to say this is what we will do. This is how we honor the Sabbath. And doing it this way makes it distinct and different. Well, that was their intent. When I was young, I didn't know that. And I remembered as a child, you'd see your neighborhood kids ride the bike. And you'd be like, sinner, they're, they're riding their bike. And you'd think, well, they're, they're, they're condemned. This is, this, is the only, this is the only outcome of this. They're, they're, they've broken God's law. Now again, this is a, a rather simple example of what? Well, that just this thing that is not even spoken of in God's law does not necessarily make one a lawbreaker. And in this simple example, what I'm trying to say is the caution. The caution that when we are distinguishing between those who, who need to be pursued, we have to understand, well, is, this a, is, is what they're doing, what they're saying, actually wrong? Now, that's sort of a minor point. What I mean by that is, in James' example, this is a pretty obvious wanderer. It's pretty clear that what he's talking about are those who are rejecting the tenets of the gospel. They're, they're turning from the center of the faith. That's what they're wandering from. But I think it's necessary to just talk about that caution because it is difficult at times. It's difficult to know, when do you say something? Well, when you say something is when it is these detrimental activities, detrimental beliefs, and you can, you can ask, well, what are those? Well, it's, it's these things that the Bible waits. It's these things that the Bible speaks clearly against, and it's, it's the center of the gospel itself, salvation in Christ alone. And yes, sinful activities correspond to this. But many times we see wanderers from our midst who are pursuing a broken lifestyle, disobeying God's law, and that's what James is talking about as well. But we need to be cautious. We need to make sure that we are, are weighing what they're doing, whether it's actually a sin, whether it's something that God condemns, whether it's dangerous, or, or even if it's just simply maybe immaturity that this person is growing out of. We have to be gracious, is, is what I'm trying to say, as a caution. But now setting that caution aside, we see James go at it. He describes the pursuit of a wandering brother or sister by us, by their brethren. And to that excuse, we might say, well, we don't know them well, we aren't best suited, we're not the most knowledgeable, it's just not our place. James would say, what? What are you talking about? It's not your place. Because... At the end of the day, you could save your sister or your brother from eternal death. Those are the stakes. And they're your sibling in Christ. Who better than one of their other siblings to pursue them in love? This is what we should tell ourselves when we question that and we doubt that. This is how God also brings about perseverance of the saints. And you, you'd say, well, I thought... I thought perseverance of the saints means that God won't lose anyone. Well, what's this wandering business? How does, how does a wanderer work in the perseverance of the saints? That God won't lose those he's brought to himself. We read that in our assurance of pardon, that, that he will raise them all up. The son won't lose any that the father has given. Well, this is the way that happens. That's what's amazing. 
You see, perseverance of the saints isn't this pixie dust that'll make them rise at the end of the day. That, that no, okay, God just sprinkles this on every one of his saints, and so at the end it's good. We, we, we will rise, and that's all that needs to happen. Perseverance of the saints is carried out through means. Yes, it's God doing it. And yes, it is perfect and per- perfectly true that he will lose none of his people. But we, as, as brothers who pursue wanderers, we don't know the heart's... We don't know those who are truly elect, so we pursue all. And by our pursuit, even what James is saying, perseverance of the saints is carried out, even through the activity the Lord works through church members, through brothers and sisters who pursue saved souls, covering multitude of sins. This is how perseverance takes place. We're engaged in it. Now, I say that very carefully. Perseverance of the saints is God's work, and he carries it out. But he so frequently carries that out through very ordinary means like his people. His people who he will use to correct and bring that elect person back to a true and faithful exclamation and belief and profession of faith, a true and godly walk. This is what he can do through us broken vessels. We have our own problems, and yet this is what God will work through us. See that simple language... You almost want to correct James. Say, James, you haven't got it quite right here. You can't say that we can bring a sinner back from his wandering. You can't say that we will save his soul. You can't say that we will cover a multitude of sins. But he's chosen his words very carefully. It's exactly what he means, yes, properly understood. It's all the merit of Christ. But it's through our witness through our pursuit and our love that carries this out. James has no problem telling these Christians to pursue the wanderer, and when it says he will save his soul from death, that's what James means. And when his soul, what he's referring to by his soul, it's that soul of the wanderer. You might think, well, whose soul is being saved? Is it the one who's pursuing the wanderer, or is it the wanderer? Well, it makes most sense to see it as this is the wanderer's soul that is being saved. And the sins that are being covered isn't the one who's pursuing them, as if he could store up for himself this merit by pursuing them. That's not what's going on here. It's, it's by pursuing them, what's covered, what's washed away, is this wanderer's sin. The sins that he was doing in his wandering. The sins that he could have done in continuing to wandering. And one, you've stepped down and you've snatched them from the brand of hell, is what James is saying. Not in your own power, but through God's own use. You're a tool in God's hands. You're the tongs, if we could say it that way. The tongs God can use to snatch the thing from the fire. To snatch the soul from death itself. Which brings us to our second point, in bringing them back. Bringing them back. We see this in Luke 15. The example of Christ. Because what James is telling us to do is exactly what Christ did for us. It's exactly what we're called to do in imitation and obedience to him. Christ pursued the lost sheep. And as we began, I pointed out the the humility, or the compassion, I mean, the compassion and mercy of God. Luke 15 presents that, presents Christ, even in the parable form, as the one who pursues that one lost sheep. And rejoices, and that heaven, it'll say elsewhere in the Gospels, has a party of rejoicing, or even says here, the angels in heaven rejoice at the one who repents. How much God loves his sheep. 
he loves those to pursue them. This is what Christ displayed. This is the love of Christ. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This is how Christ pursued his sheep. This is how he saved them. In one sense, James' entire epistle has been to perform and fulfill these two verses. His constant, his constant cautions, his constant declarations of what they should do to avoid double-minded idolatry, to be single-mindedly devoted to Christ, to understand what a true faith is as one that is a faith that works, and as one that's not just in words only, but a faith that actually is alive. And he's been going back and forth through all these things, even in very practical ways of telling us how to use wealth and richness and all these things, how we are to live in light of Christ's coming. All of that is, in a sense, the pursuit of his people, even to those who may go astray, even to those who without these words of caution and care and love might wander away. And so James' own epistle is fulfilling this, fulfilling the way of Christ that as a good shepherd he lays down his life for his sheep. He has sought out his sheep and he loses none of them. Well, are we not as his under shepherds, and I mean by that is all those who in very general office of prophet, priest, and king, as a believer, we are a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, a nation of priests. Are we not called then to function exactly as Christ did? In his power, it's in his achievement, but we are to follow his footsteps. So how do we do this? How do we go about pursuing a wanderer? What I'm about to say, I've taken mostly from Sinclair Ferguson. He's been very helpful as I've gone through James and his, his, his information, his helpful points. What he gives here, as he has studied the gospel and taking especially the way Jesus pursued Peter, after Peter had wandered, he takes five points to help us understand how we might pursue a wanderer, to give us an idea of what this means, how do we go about it. Five points. The first one is pray for them. We'll go through each of these. The first is to pray for them. The second is to be willing to spend time with them. The third is to be gentle with them. The fourth is to be brave with them, even in sensitivity, but to be brave. And the fifth is to be there for them when they're restored. Pray for them first. Willing to spend time with them. Be gentle with them. Be brave, but sensitive. Be there for them when they're restored. First, pray. This is where it must begin. And this is where it should begin for all of us, that we begin in prayer for them. The last section of text, what we looked at last time, was the power of prayer. It must begin there. Because we know it's not our own strength. And we know it's not our own power. And if we're going to pursue a wanderer, and if they're going to be brought back, it is going to be in prayer and the power of the Spirit that this is done. And so we pray. Prayer is also the way that we gain a greater love for these people. When you devote your time and your energy and your attention to these lost sheep, those who are wandering away, and you uplift them in prayer, you, you've devoted so much love and energy to them, you can't help but be concerned about them. And as you pray, you gain a greater conviction through the work of the Holy Spirit to, to perhaps go out and show them love. To pursue them. You see, the prayer is not only for the wanderer, it's for the one to pursue them. We pray in every aspect, and in that prayer we will 
pursue them. It awakens in us that desire and that strength. So first we pray, seeking God's help. And that's the first act of love for anyone to pray for them. And that is the deepest one. By saying it's first, I'm not trying to weight it lightly. By saying this is the first and the other ones to follow are more important steps. No, this is really the most important step. We can't miss it. Pray for them. Second, be willing to spend time with them. This is just practical application of the law of God. This is just wisdom. Being able and willing to spend time with them is an act of love to your neighbor. How else will you show them love? You can't just run in there and expect to just be used by God very easily. Not being really involved, not have to dig in deep and be enmeshed in what they're going through. It's also unwise to approach someone and seek to bring them back when you don't know their situation and you don't know what they're dealing with. And so what has to happen is you must invest in them. You must put the the, the time in to know what they're going through. And it's not just because you need to do that as a step. It's that you care for this person. So you're willing to come along them and ask them what's going on. Why? And what they're struggling with. You devote time to them. We learn their entire situation before we counsel and before we exhort. This is a step that often those who are brave enough to pursue a wanderer miss. Miss this point. And what ends up happening is they just come in and all they're presenting what seems, even if what they're saying is true, is just what seemingly is a self-righteous condemnation of them. You see, this is to, to spend time in that with them in love is what Christ did. Remember, even in Luke 15, what, what began it was the Pharisees critiquing him for the amount of time he was spending with these sinners. And these sinners who would come to him, who flocked to Christ. Clearly one who invested with them and showed them love and concern to be willing to spend time with them. Third, be gentle with them. This is, again, one we must know. Gentleness, an attribute of God. Galatians 6, verses 1 and following says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I'm going to reread that. Brothers, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Galatians 6 is such a companion text to James 5, 19 and 20. Pursue the the sinner, pursue the wanderer in a spirit of gentleness. Watch out for yourself. Know your own weakness. Bear this burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what you're doing in investing in their their safety, spiritual growth. Fourth, be brave. Just as Christ is gentle with the sinner, just as he exemplified that, there is bravery there, clearly. He did not pull punches against sin. He called sin a sin, and he called it out for what it was, and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't compromise the gospel, he didn't compromise truth in the process. He held it up. And both can be done. It's not, a, it's, it's, it's not like you can do one or the other, that you can either be gentle or compromise the truth. Christ shows both are possible and, in fact, necessary. Be brave, even in the sensitivity. And I like joining those two, what seems to be contrary terms, bravery and sensitivity. 
You need to be brave enough to pursue. You need to be brave enough to be the doctor to press where it hurts. But you are also a great doctor, a great physician. And as a great doctor, one skilled, knows where to press, knows how hard to press. He's brave enough to do that. He's brave enough to say, here's your problem, and this is what's going on. But he's not unduly just there and pressing where it hurts and twisting the broken arm into a calf. A cast, not a calf. It amazes me how doctors who are skilled know how to move the body, know how to manipulate it in such a way that they're, they're not hurting what's the problem. They're not tearing open the wound, or they're setting the bones and moving it and moving it into place in such a way that it is the least invasive, the most gentle. Now at times, using this analogy, does a shoulder that's out of joint need to be wrenched back in place? Yes, and there's the bravery, but the gentleness and sensitivity of a medical doctor caring for their patient. Not just in there, walking in there. Doctors who have a poor bedside manner... Just push, press, yeah, this is your problem, this is the pain. They don't, they're not received well, nor should they be. They're not showing compassion. The doctor who is there and caring for the patient, that's what we are trying to be to those who are lost, because we're humble enough. We felt the same pain, we know what they're going through, and we're no better. It's also what makes you prime candidates to be Christ's vessels of atonement. Prime candidates to bring the gospel because you are a sinner who's no grace. That's exactly what the wanderer needs. They don't need one coming in self-righteously saying, you don't got it. I do. At least that's what's conveyed. So we must be brave and gentle. Fifth, be there for them when they're restored. Be there for them when they're restored. In Luke 15, you see the party, the celebration that's held when they come back. And this is just the continuation, the ongoing of Christ-like love towards each other and to a wanderer to love them. So those are the five ways that we can go about it to sort of concretize a gospel pursuit. But how? How do we deal with our predisposition to be shy, to be scared, to think of ourselves unworthy for such a pursuit? Ferguson again helpfully says, we need convictions that will bring courage into our hearts. Convictions that will bring courage into our hearts and will enable us to go about the ministry of restoration. That's why James says what we're engaged in. To give us courage of conviction, he says, you will save their soul. You will cover a multitude of sin. That gives us courage in our convictions and as well unstated but clearly under undergirding what James is saying here. The lost can be restored. Not all who wander away are truly lost. We can lose our our faith so quickly in that. They're gone. That's it. We're never going to see them again. Perhaps that's because we haven't pursued them. Perhaps that's because the the blame does lie, in a sense, at our door, not because we can hold election or reprobation in our hands, but that we're not actually pursuing the gospel call. We're not seeking their best interests. We need to understand the power of God's word is greater than any sin they're engaged in. It's greater than any belief that they've adopted. It transforms hearts. It brings life. 
We need that conviction and love will grow out of it. We need to seek greater love for God's people. It's difficult. We are in our sinful natures unloving and so ask God to have greater love for all. You would love others and be in their pursuit. This is our responsibility to seek to save that wanderer in the message of the gospel. Do you know someone who is wandering? Are you wandering? Seek restoration. Our Savior is in the business of pursuing lost sheep. He said it. He didn't come to pursue sheep who are righteous, meaning he didn't come to pursue those self-righteously unaware and not needing salvation. He came for those who need it. He didn't just come for those he's already saved. He pursues those who wander. Love God, love your brother, pursue them and save their souls. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty Father in heaven, we see your great compassion and mercy to call us, your people, to pursue those who wander and are lost, and by so doing, saving their souls from death, by covering multitude of sins, by engaging in, in a derivative way, in a, in, in a way, in, in atonement. Yes, this is the work of Christ, and all glory belongs to him, and yet in your compassion and mercy, you call us to bear witness to the gospel. May we do this. May we seek to do it and overcome our own shyness, our own, our own doubt, our own fear. May the love of you and by that truth, the love of our neighbor, overcome that fear. May we have a greater conviction into the truth of the gospel itself and its power than we do in the wanderer's own hard heart. And we pray, Lord... For those here who know wanderers or are wandering themselves, Lord, bring them back. We engage in that first and all-important step of prayer. You know their number, you know their name, and we pray, Lord, return them, restore them, cover themselves, save their soul, and, and cover their sins in your blood, we pray. Amen.